0: We started our retreat on June 1st and today is June 9th. We are completing the first eight days of this intensive retreat. The first eight out of, I suppose, 30 day retreat. Now, it's time for a review of what has been achieved within this eight-day period if you make a brief review of your own practice then would you say the condition now is it absolutely equal to the condition on june 1st at 7 pm do you see any changes there Catherine? yes Anyone who can not report any changes? Well, indeed, certain major achievements are there and I'm really pleased with the entire group. So, what we'll do as part of our review is to go through the different areas where some changes have taken place. Now, the first and sattva error is that of ethical conduct. So we come on a retreat, and Stutner one of the very first sattva few things certainly is you know, the taking of the precepts, eight precepts, and Stutner then the careful observance of you know, the same. Now, with uh, intensive mindfulness practice we are uh, developing mindfulness and certainly this mindfulness then in turn helps us to observe those precepts or you know, is it a big hindrance? It's helpful. There you go. So, when we are mindful of all the major activities that we, major and minor activities that we undertake in the course of a day, then we will naturally be more attentive to whether something is ethically wholesome or not. So, carefully observing uh, the eight precepts, we can uh, say that uh, we live without, in, in the words of the Buddha, that we live without stick or sword, conscientious, full of sympathy, and we're desirous of the welfare of all living beings. So this comes when we observe the first precept and uh, so positively expressed and, uh, and then we will take only what is certainly given uh, to us uh, until it is certainly given and we live with a heart that is honest and pure. So this is the positive aspect of you know, practicing the second uh, precept. Then, when it comes to the third, namely that of further refraining from any kind of sexual activity, even if even with one certain spouse, with this our life further then is certain at least during the retreat marked by celibacy. Now, when it comes to speech, we speak the truth. And certainly, we are devoted to the truth. As a result of this, we become reliable. Others see us as reliable and worthy of confidence. And certainly, no deceiver of men and women. And certainly, we engage in speech that unites those that are divided, and certainly those that are united one encourages, concord gladdens us, and one delights and certainly rejoices in concord. Our speech will be one of gentle words, words that are soothing to the ear, loving, and words as go to directly to the heart, that are courteous, friendly and agreeable to many. Now, we speak, we make a big effort to speak at the right time in accordance with facts and figures. We speak what is useful and we speak of Dhamma and the discipline. And our speech is like a treasure uttered at the right moment, accompanied by a proper argument, moderate And full of sense. So it is in this and other ways that we are not only refraining from certain things but also developing the positive aspects to those certain precepts. Now, usually what suddenly happens is that intensive meditation practice makes us more fussy or makes us more content <laughs> more fussy <laughs> so probably not so it makes us more content and so, um, practicing at a a place uh, like uh, the forest refuge makes it even more easy to be contented because everything that one could think of is being supplied. There's really nothing uh, nothing one could uh, ask uh, for. So you know. So we can say that already, just by being here, by observing precepts and uh, mm, 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 receiving what is suddenly given, contentment also uh, arises and suddenly gets certain strengthened. Now, upon reflection on our ethical purity. Based on on keeping the precepts, we are likely. To experience a very particular uh, form of happiness, which in the Pali scriptural language is known as anawaja sukha. Now this means, in English, a faultless or a blameless happiness. So you have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to blame yourself for. So you're not walking into you know, the walk-in freezer and help yourself yourself to a banana. Now, since the very beginning of the retreat, you have been encouraged to practice, apart from the mindfulness, also, the restraint of the senses, Indriasamara Sila, in the Pali scriptural language. Now, are there been any benefits to this? Such as venereal? There are. There are indeed benefits to this. And suddenly the Buddha has described those as Abhyaseka, Sukha, in the Pali scriptural language, namely an unblemished happiness. And so, so, see, it's very simple. By restraining the senses and not looking around, then there is are less distractions and so you know, when you know, we come should let's say there's some you know, desirable you know, object it could be a visible object it could be an, you know, an auditory object and whatnot you know, then if we don't even see it because we restrain our senses then you know, it's very you know, you know, uh, unlikely that desire or craving for this object so, you know, would arise Now, likewise, by restraining our senses with regard to undesirable objects, again be those visible objects, auditory or um, olfactory or gustatory and so on, tactile objects, mental objects, then again no aversion, no ill will, no disliking will arise and that's even without uh, mindfulness so this uh, restraint of the senses is said uh, by the Buddha uh, to lead to an unblemished form of happiness and this happiness then in turn leads to is it a dead end? (laughs) by It leads, uh, not right away, it leads to what? Concentration, Concentration. there you go. It leads to concentration because mm, a happy mindset is easily concentrated. And the concentration in turn then is a prerequisite for the arising of intuitive wisdom. So, just uh, by getting started in the practice, there's already a number of uh, benefits uh, to be gained. Now, these are fortunately not certainly uh, the only uh, benefits, and uh, as we uh, go on, And suddenly we start suddenly practicing. We apply mindfulness to whatever prominent object comes up, rise and fall and paints and aches and sitting and touching and uh, mental objects and so on. (coughs) And then we gradually find that out of our mindfulness practice arises this concentration. Now, not because of the you know, restraint of the senses, but you know, based on the you know, mindfulness. And suddenly so, you know, this form of concentration is known as, in the Pali language, Kanika Samadhi, yes, this is correct, namely momentary concentration. Now, it doesn't mean just one single moment of concentration in one entire sitting, but rather it means... Many moments of footning concentration, whenever we're pretty mindful of a prominent object, then the mind will be sticking to the object, glued to the object, and at that point, some moments of concentration will be there. And then, when our mindfulness shifts to another object, again we observe it carefully, again the mind will be glued to it, and then will have some more moments of concentration based on a variety of different objects different uh, uh, objects of ultimate nature and so not of a conceptual uh, nature now the arise the presence of mindfulness as well as the uh, concentration plus uh, the Effort that is needed as a prerequisite for the, uh, the rising of mindfulness, you know, those certain three mental factors then will help us to you know, do what? Who knows? Wisdom. Pardon me, too? They the lead to wisdom, yes, and before intuitive wisdom can arise, what needs to be dealt with? What needs to be subdued? The hindrances. There you go. The five hindrances, the hindrance of sense desire, the hindrance of ill will, the hindrance of sloth and torpor, the hindrance of restlessness and worry or remorse, and the hindrance of skeptical doubt. Now, in the presence of those uh, one of those five hindrances, or all of them, will it be easy to know the true nature of an object? Not easy. And it's as if you were, uh, you were wearing uh, sunglasses with five different colors uh, or five different layers. Um, in front of one another, so you try to look at something and you can't see it properly because it's so well the sight is clouded. Now. So, what Satna mindfulness practice does, but Satna to be fair samatha meditation, meditation of calm, will do the same thing. Namely, it will, both of them, will lead to a suppression of the five hindrances. Now, this suppression is of a permanent nature or temporary nature. Temporary, that's correct. And so, it's not yet a full eradication of those hindrances. But as long as the hindrances are subdued under some control, then the wholesome mental states can arise, and one of those wholesome mental states is then also intuitive wisdom. So. What happens in the course of our practice is that certain this particular aspect here, this subduing of, uh, subduing the suppression of uh, the hindrances, this is termed as purification of the mind, citta visuddhi, in the Pali scriptural language. The previous purification was sapna, that of Futna purification. Of virtue, sila, bhisudi in the Pali scriptural language. Now, with the hindrances, at least subdued, to some extent, it suddenly becomes suddenly then possible for us to. Mm-hmm. make some headway. And since we're practicing Satipatthana, part of Votna Satipatthana is the mindful contemplation of the body, bodily formations. With that, this, we will be less infatuated by the body be it our own, nor you know, that of uh, others. So we just see it as another object, and certainly thus you know, there will be less distractions arising in the mind. Now, with the mind being less distracted, this too will help to develop Putnik concentration, deep Putnik concentration. Now, in the presence of effort, mindfulness, concentration, wisdom will arise if faith, some initial faith, is also there. The arising of fatna faith in relationship to the meditation practice the Buddha has expressed as follows. Namely, indeed, wisdom is born of meditation. But without meditation, wisdom is lost. Knowing this twofold, path of gain and loss of wisdom, one should conduct oneself so that wisdom may increase. Now, what are some of the factors that contribute to the arising of wisdom? Now, if we go by the Samyutta Nikaya, a short satna discourse, namely uh, in the 55th uh, Samyutta discourse, number 55, and then uh, two similar discourses, association with superior persons, hearing the true Dhamma, careful attention to what is being said, and practice in accordance with the Dhamma. These four factors also lead to the arising of wisdom and uh, not just wisdom in general but even more specifically to the realization of the path and fruition of stream entry. So, just hearing the Dhamma is not enough. We need to apply it. We actually need to do the practice. Now, based on the Chankitna Sutta, which uh, uh, is a discourse that certainly can be found in the Majjhima Nikaya, mm, there's one or uh, two uh, more, at least one more factor, uh, that could uh, be added. Namely, an initial faith gets us going, and this initial faith, then, leads to a desire to want to practice, and a uh, uh, desire to practice, or uh, in general, maybe also a desire to uh, study. Now, based and certainly this in Pali, you know, in the Pali scriptural language, is known as chanda. Now, this desire to practice then will be followed, as the venerable Sadhupanita explains, by an aiming of the mind, aiming the mind, certainly, at the most prominent object, and certainly then the aiming needs to be accompanied by effort. So with the force of effort, the mind gets propelled to the object of observation and actually reaches the object of observation. This then enables the arising of mindfulness and then, as before, leads to the arising of uh, uh, concentration and then eventually intuitive wisdom. The Alawaka Sutta, again a discourse mentioned in the Samyutta Nikaya, namely the tenth collection, speaks of some of the same factors, and yet there's certainly at least one or two new ones that contribute to the arising of intuitive wisdom. So. There's a verse set near there, which says, placing faith in the Dhamma of the Arans for the attainment of Nibbana, not just to feel good. From desire to learn, one gains wisdom if one is diligent and astute. So, with some initial faith, one then approaches a teacher, one maybe signs up to or for an intensive retreat. With this, then automatically comes the teacher. And Satnya then one does a very simple thing one lends an ear to what is being said. And Satna hears the Dhamma and then there might be a desire to learn, and then one needs to be diligent in one's practice and astute in the sense that one distinguishes between what is well-spoken and not so well-spoken. So these various factors, and probably also others, all contribute to the arising of intuitive wisdom. Now, other words for wisdom would be words, synonyms, such as knowledge, intuitive knowledge, or insight knowledge, or uh, understanding, or um, discriminative, discriminative knowledge. Clear comprehension would be yet another one, or non-bewilderment right view. Investigation of states – these are all synonyms for one and the same thing, namely wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? We do not mean traditional wisdom, like uh, traditional wisdom uh, that farmers uh, might uh, use when they plant uh, their fields. So at certain if the weather is uh, uh, great on a certain date, uh, then it's time to uh, you know, uh, plant the seeds. Not that kind of wisdom. Not the type of uh, wisdom uh, that is uh, based on uh, traditional uh, sayings. Also, not the wisdom that suddenly arises by uh, reading hundreds of Dhamma books, um, nor do we refer uh, to a type of wisdom that might certainly arise by, uh, uh, well, uh, f- Excess or, or you know, by vast you know, thinking, logical you know, thinking. What we have in mind is a form of wisdom that is based on, hmm? on? direct experience, more than that. Meditation, and certain another you know, way of putting this, would be based on mental development. Bhāvanā maya, banya, in the Pali scriptural language. So, it is a tip, a very specific type of mm, wisdom that we have in mind. It is a type of wisdom that enables us ultimately to realize the Dhamma. A wisdom that will enable us to cut through the various layers of ignorance. Now, can you understand the nature of Nibbana by reading 500 Dhamma books? Yes, you think you'll be able to do that? And what about Marie-Claire? What about Anatta? So by reading plenty of books on Anatta, do you really get a profound understanding of Anatta? Not really. So to properly understand Anatta, one needs to practice. And One needs to experience this satna anatta, absence of the mm, the fact that formations are not identical with the self, and that one needs to experience this over and over again. There are different aspects to this. So, intuitive wisdom means knowing the true nature of things. Its characteristic, that's a short definition and its characteristic is given as penetrating you know, objects or things according to their intrinsic or essential nature. So really getting to know the core of an object. And the function of wisdom, which is always useful to know, is to illuminate the objective field. So the field of objects, which... Is in the absence of ignorance, well covered by darkness. So it is wisdom then that illuminates that objective footnote, the field of objects, and thus dispels the darkness of ignorance. Now, how do we experience this intuitive wisdom? Do we experience? Well, we experience it as non-confusion, as non-bewilderment. We're no longer confused about things, so we're no longer confused whether a self, whether the body is really the self or not, and whether my let's say intelligence is really the self or not, or the perceptions, or for some people they're really tuned into their feelings whether those are the self or not. One sees clearly that none of those can be taken to be a self. Two approximate causes have been given for the arising of uh, intuitive wisdom, one you know already and this is the unification of the mind, the consolidation of the mind, namely concentration, and the other one is simply wise attention. Wise attention geared towards the arising of intuitive wisdom. Now, when we undertake in particular Kaya Nupasna Satipatthana, mindful contemplation of the body, then we might at first, or at first, before we do this mindful contemplation of the body, we might see our own body and that of others as being very attractive, especially if young and healthy and strong. Mindful contemplation of the body will do what? Are there any benefits to this? We just wouldn't do this just to waste time? No? Okay, but I still don't have the answer. (laughs) Well, by me? Ah, we lose attachment to the body, yes. And we lose attachment to the body, however, requires a certain understanding that the body isn't all that attractive. There are some attractive parts to it, but not everything is so attractive. So, somewhere in Malaysia, or yeah, sometime, long time ago, yeah, there was certain... Uh, uh, some Buddhist magazine, an issue of a Buddhist uh, magazine in Malaysia, uh, that had a picture of uh, the human skin and or human body, and then with a cut through the skin, and then it said underneath the caption was "Beauty is only skin deep." <laughs> so if you remove the top layer, the maybe first two layers or so, then what you see underneath is that still all that appealing? So if we were to walk around, you know, all bloodied, (laughs) I don't think this would arouse much attachment. So, to see the body for, to see reality with regard to the body. And so. um, if you well, so there are attractive parts to it, but there are also unattractive parts to it, and if you think of the human body in the course of one life cycle, as suddenly we come closer and closer to death, then much of the attractiveness that was there during the youth is. Gone. <laughs> now, so that then helps us, or that is certainly yet another achievement, another benefit that certainly we may have gained within, you know, as little as just eight days of intensive meditation practice. Now, if we haven't seen that yet, never mind, we still have uh, 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 several weeks left. Some, uh, some of you will be staying even longer. And so you've got plenty of opportunities to do your homework. And so mindful contemplation of the body gives us further opportunities for learning, namely, we are engaged in a very simple activity. The activity of a scientist, of a researcher, who is taking a close look at what is actually happening in what we call a being, an individual, a self, or the man or the woman. And upon a close analysis, we find objects such as the rising and falling movement of the abdomen. We find pains and aches. We find hardness, heat, cold, uh, warmth, various movements of the body. We find all sorts of mental objects, wandering minds, sleepiness, happiness, joy, restlessness, and so on and so forth. And do we find anything beyond that? What about the self? Nope. At times at least, we might discover that there's just a physical phenomenon there and suddenly the mind which is observing it. Just suddenly those two categories. And that's all. Just materiality and mentality. So Kayanubhassna Satipatthana, mindful contemplation of the body, helps. can be seen as an analysis of the elements of what is really there, and satna. This then helps us to refute the idea of a self, at least on a temporary basis, and satna. That satna then. That will pave the way for you know, the time you know, later on when the realization of you know, the path of stream entry comes, where you know, the wrong view, the belief in the existence of a self, when that gets cut off. Now, a mindful contemplation of just the body, and we're not even talking about mindful contemplation of feelings in the mind and uh, oh, the dhammas will help us or will um, enable us to um, let, those, uh, let various insight knowledges arise. In the stream of consciousness, starting with the very basics, such as an understanding of or discernment of mind and matter, we'll we'll go into that in a moment, and then also understanding that these physical and mental formations are related by cause and effect. So, a mindful contemplation of fatna, the body, can um, or leads to the arising of all 16 insights and uh, knowledges, certain so, uh, stages of fatna, intuitive wisdom, and part of fatna, this will be the realization of fatna, the Dhamma, the realization of supramundane uh, Dhamma. Now, Mindful contemplation of the body is further ne, said ne, to um, be a crucial factor for the withstanding of the armies of Mara, ne, such as ne, essential pleasures, and said, ne, fear, or, uh, dissatisfaction, hunger, thirst, craving, sloth and torpor, doubt and said, ne, so on and so forth. So, mm, as we go on with our practice, you know, the benefits are really accumulating. Now, being established in the precepts, experiencing a faultless happiness owing to our you know, virtue listening to the instructions, applying the instructions to our practice, we uh, start to you know, discern between rising and falling movement of the abdomen. We might even see a gap between the rising and uh, the ending of the rising movement, and beginning of the falling movement, and same thing between the f- end of the falling, and the beginning of the next rising movement, and sub- then we see how The rising and falling movement might change over time. We might suddenly then also come across the first few mental objects, such as the wandering mind, sloth and torpor, maybe anger comes up, or happiness is there, whatever. So, gradually the five hindrances will you know, arise and give us a hard time, but you know, we, mm, with courage you know, we face them, we overcome them, and then a range of wholesome mental states are likely to arise, such as you know, gladness, such as you know, joy, you know, such as calmness or stillness of the mind, possibly clarity of the mind, some you know, happiness. Now, with those wholesome mental states, sudden present, then intuitive wisdom can, or then you know, the intuitive wisdom in the form of the first insight knowledge manifests, and suddenly that discernment of. Physical and certain mental formations will take place. So we realize that there is no permanent certain self. The mind is purified of this notion, idea, wrongful idea of a permanent certain self. So, this Satna then, is known as Satna the purification of view, Deity, Visuddhi, in the Pali scriptural language. So. At first, the first purification was that of uh, virtue, n- Sila Visuddhi. Then uh, we had uh, purification of the mind, Chitta Visuddhi. Now we have purification of view Deity n- Visuddhi. So gradually, n- things are adding up. Now, just gaining the first uh, insight knowledge brings us not just an understanding. Of uh, mind and matter, but it will also help us to realize that these two categories, or that physical and mental formations, are interdependent. So just imagine, if you had only a body, then what would happen? Nothing would happen. Mm -hmm. It would be just a, a heap of fatna flesh, that's all and no no input there to move on the other hand, if you would have if you would possess only a mind but no body, then there would be plenty of mental inputs and no physical manifestation, no actions nothing nothing achieved so clearly. There is an interdependence between mind and, or mental formations, and certain physical formations. The visuddhimagga gives a beautiful illustration for this, but it's a bit complicated, so I always have to be careful to get it right. Now, um, the illustration is that. Of a cripple and of a blind man. Both of them want to reach a certain destination, but the cripple, because he is crippled, cannot move properly, so won't reach his certain destination. The blind man, because he's blind, he can't see and uh, you know, thus it uh, you know, might go off in a wrong direction and again will not reach the destination but when those two the cripple and the blind man get together then something can happen and what it takes is that certain, uh, the, uh, um, yeah, that the cripple climbs onto the shoulders of the blind man and then together they will achieve their mission. So, the cripple who has eyes to see will say, leave the left, take the right. And at times suddenly he will say, "Mm -hmm, leave the right and take the left. And suddenly, like this, suddenly they reach their destination. Now, during these certain early stages of practice, it is not only that we understand or that we learn to discern between physical and mental formations, we also learn to discern and make another major distinction in terms of mental factors and what's the distinction. Yes, wholesome and unwholesome, kusala, and akusala uh, in the Pali scriptural language. So if there's no understanding um, of you know, these two, sometimes, um, sometimes people d- are not even familiar with the term wholesome. They say, what? And uh, the same thing goes for unwholesome. And so to, first of all, be familiar with those two terms, and to make the distinction between wholesome and unwholesome, this is really helpful. Now, wholesome mental states, when they arise, they lead to our happiness. And unwholesome mental states will lead to happiness, unhappiness, yes, this is correct and certainly unwanted, undesired uh, uh, karmic uh, results. Now, yet another um, important lesson is there, understanding is there, and that is with regard to impulses or Intentions. Namely, we discover that our activities, whatever it might be the, you know, the activity of getting up or you know, uh, having a meal or um, walking around, etc., you know, these various activities are preceded by a mental intention, a mental impulse, or a desire to do such and such. Now, do we really need to act on each and every impulse that comes up in the mind? We don't. However, young people tend to be extremely impulsive, and so whatever impulse comes up in the mind, immediately they think they have to act on it. And unfortunately, much damage is being done in that way. So mindfulness mm, of uh, physical and mental formations will uh, help us to recognize, to spot you know, those certain intentions and will further help us to briefly stop, step back a little bit, take a look at the intention and check whether it is wholesome or not. Does it go in line line with the precepts or not? If we find that there might be some unwholesome negative consequences to the intention or the action based on the intention, then we simply say, sorry, I don't really need to act on this one, and you just uh, let the intention go. If then, however, wholesome intention arises, you do your your quick check, okay, now that seems like a good idea, and then you go ahead. So, like this, Mm, 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 carefully checking what one is going to say, may make a big difference then you you can know, basically guard your you know, mouth and uh, you know, don't just uh, uh you know talk nonsense and uh, go around insulting you know, people upsetting people <laughs> and creating <laughs> creating you know, a conflict no, that just uh, as a you know as a footnote so many conflicts arise because of absent-minded speech we in the in the heat of a discussion we say something that inflames another person that incites another person's anger and suddenly it cannot be stopped anymore so that's really not necessary Now... Based on having gained the first intuitive knowledge, insight, knowledge, we then move on in our practice. Again, we have to observe those same old objects, rising and falling, paints and eggs, and so on and so forth. And gradually, we we realize: well, these formations. Now, they're not really happening because of some supreme uh, entity there, some supreme being that is pulling the strings. And so we might also realize that certain formations are not happening in a haphazard manner either, but rather, owing to certain conditions, certain things happen. So, mm, owing to an excruciating pain, the desire to change the posture might arise. And suddenly, owing to that intention, you know, the physical action of changing the posture you know, takes place. Now, we might suddenly then discover a few of those causal links in our sitting practice, in our walking practice, and also during the general activities. Very simple things. Um, it's time for lunch, we walk up to the buffet, we see some really delicious dish, and saliva starts, um, or the, the mouth starts salivating. And then when we're really close to the bowl, we fill our plates with this dish as much as we can, never mind about the other retreatants at that point. <laughs> and so, so it's just because we see something desirable, and so that we know, you know there is to our you know, liking, and that certainly so, you know, we then you know, that gets uh, uh, enticed you know, to you know, taking a lot of you know, food. Now. Many causal links or you know, relationships exist and uh, they occur all, you know, all the time and these can be classified or put into four basic categories, namely, a mental object may be the cause for a, and a physical and then there will be a result and the result is of a physical nature. Or um, it could be a mental object is suddenly the cause for the arising of a different mental object. Then, um, a physical object might be the cause for the arising of a mental object. And a physical object might also be the cause for another um, bodily formation to arise. so those four yeah, basic categories of foot calls and effects uh, connections or relationships uh, are there and to be mm, mm, experienced now the understanding of uh, understanding of the discernment of cause and effect, namely that physical and mental formations are related by cause and effect, helps us to purify the mind again in another way. Namely, it removes doubt about the conditions for the arising of mind and matter. So we no longer believe that some supreme being is in charge and pulling the strings, nor do we n- n- believe n- that things are happening in a, n- a haphazard n- manner or fatalistic manner, or So, but rather n- we realize n- formations are occurring owing to certain causes. Not just one cause, but oftentimes several causes. This particular understanding is certainly the second insight knowledge, Pachaya Parika in the Pali scriptural language, and this corresponds to the fourth purification, namely purification by overcoming doubt, Kanka Vitarana Visuddhi in the Pali scriptural language. So that's then uh, another big achievement in our practice. So, Within just eight days of practice, intensive practice, um, one will easily gain these certain understandings. Within eight days of intensive practice, one might um, then go even further and suddenly gain some more understanding, namely um, that one comes to realize that all formations share three, not specific, but universal characteristics. And those universal characteristics are those of impermanence. We realize formations are not permanent, but they are in a constant state of flux, they are in a transitory state, they keep changing all the time. and. then, based on this understanding, we you know, then realize that formations are also unsatisfactory. On top of you know, this, uh, there are pains and extra there are difficult mental states. So, the um, aspect of unsatisfactoriness. And based on the first two, you know, then you know, we realize that, mm, sorry, in the end, uh, formations arise of their own accord, and um, there's no self involved. It's not us who is directing everything, who's calling the show, but rather owing to conditions, this or that happens. Now, having gained a direct understanding of Anicca, Dukkha, and Anatta, Mm, and certain with unwholesome mental states subsiding and wholesome mental states arising, then mm, a further purification takes place, namely purification by knowledge and vision of what is the path and the not path. Now, this requires just a little bit more of explanation and then b- will be done for today. Now. When a retreatant mm, experience has gone beyond the mm, the third insight knowledge in, in which the three characteristics are mm, mm, come to prominence, then, for the most part, wholesome mental states such as mm, mm, illumination and a keen, unerring wisdom and then joy which is an ethically variable factor and then tranquility happiness and so on and so forth are likely to arise now an unskilled retreatant in the face of these certain mostly wholesome mental states will then mm, uh, become a victim or fall prey to those states, will get attached to them, will develop a craving to these states, or might even develop pride and conceit, thinking, oh, I'm having all these wonderful experiences, I must be by far the best retreatant in this group, which may or may not be the case. And. Then one might also think, well, with illumination, seeing all these different lights and wonderful colors and images and whatnot, one might think, and suddenly then on top of that, the joys there, tranquility and so on, one might think, this must be Nibbana, which is not the case. And uh, there's still a long way to uh, go. And uh, so we have here the danger of wrong view. So mistaking these experiences to be an experience of uh, Nibbana. Now, um, getting attached to these formations means taking the wrong path. That is the not path. The improper path. Not getting attached to them is the way to go. So, you remember, my task as a retreatant is to be mindful of whatever comes along, whether mm, pleasant or not, it doesn't matter, whether desirable or not, it doesn't matter. And so, you just label you know, and observe you know, whatever comes along, you know the nature of the objects, and you will see that in no time you cruise Satna through you know, what are known as the ten imperfections of insight. And this, then, will lead to a Further maturing of your practice, and so, so more will be explained uh, during some future uh, dhamma talk. To allow me to conclude, uh, by uh, wishing, having achieved this much already within just eight days of intensive practice, may you filled with your know, faith, may you move ahead. With goods and balanced effort, sustained mindfulness, strong concentration, and may much intuitive further wisdom, further intuitive wisdom blossom, and may you gain more and more benefits along the path. May you make more or have further achievements and Satya Vincent ultimately made this lead to a realization of the Dhamma within this very retreat here at the forest refuge in Berry And this is it. Tomorrow there won't be any Interviews and uh, no Dhamma talks. Tomorrow is uh, no Dhamma talk. Tomorrow is Sunday, which, however, doesn't mean a vacation. (laughs) Thank you for listening.